every so often throughout the course of history, patriots rise up at a time of need for truth and freedom. These people are called disciples of liberty for their undying love of freedom. The call has been sounded. Will you answer that call or sit back and let freedom die away? Unifying patriots everywhere against the evil trying to destroy America's freedom. You're listening to the Disciples of Liberty radio show on the America Out Loud Network. Now here's your host, Tim Alders. Hello once again. I'm happy to be back. Uh, Brian Hyde filling in for Tim Alders on the Disciples of Liberty show here on the America Out Loud Network. Look, we have got some great stuff ahead of us today. In the second segment of the show, I will be uh, talking with Dr. Andy Lazarus. He and his co-author Eric Rifkin have written a book called Understanding COVID-19 Risks, an image is worth more than a thousand words. And uh, I just, I can tell by what I have read of his material and his biography if you're looking for some straight answers on COVID, this is this is a good source. I'm not saying everything he said must be written in stone and you should believe it without hesitation. He strikes me as a very good, credible source. You ultimately get to make up your mind, but uh, look forward to that in the second segment. I wanted to share a couple of thoughts in this first segment, though, on why we don't trust the media. And if this sounds like, oh, great, he's hanging up the media pinata and going to take a few whacks at it here. No, there's there's more to it, because I want to walk you through a couple of different pieces that I found earlier today that uh, that really, I think, express and and outline why there's such a conundrum. And, and this is more confusing to members of the media than anybody else. I think that they the personalities involved at, you know, CNN and MSNBC and even at Fox News in some cases, they are perplexed. Why don't people believe us? And I don't claim to be omniscient, but you know there there are times when you're seeing something and someone is insisting you are not seeing that. Do not believe your lying eyes. Look away, citizen. You can't even look at this. I mean, it's it's called gaslighting. It's just it's it's a method of manipulation, and and it's going on so many ways. Boyd Cathy, in a piece published earlier on LewRockwell.com talks about how sometimes in the midst of all the assaults on our historic Western civilization, the best approach, or what he calls the most effective counter-arguments, utilize humor or mordant wit that can make significant points and sometimes attract more interest in readers than a serious documented report. I happen to agree with him, by the way. If somebody can make me laugh, I'm far more likely to consider what they have to say as opposed to someone who can tell me, you know, precisely and in good clinical language just exactly how doomed I am. That kind of stuff doesn't float my boat. It probably doesn't for you either. But he says, unfortunately, in our day and time, far too many citizens either don't have time to uh, spend reading epistles, you know, serious epistles on what's happening, or often they confront such detailed information with a yawn, because they're busy counting the minutes to the latest episode of America's Got Talent or The Bachelorette or anticipating a little more social posturing on Facebook or Twitter, which increasingly dominate our lives to the exclusion of all else. 
He says many of our parents and we grew up, even in the most rural schools, reading a smattering of Shakespeare. For instance, he says he had to read Macbeth and Julius Caesar in high school or memorizing a famous poem or two. He specifically remembers Milton's On His Blindness and Edgar Allan Poe's Annabelle Lee or being able to write a correct sentence or learning at least the outlines of American history. While they and we, speaking of our parents, were exposed to such education today, he says it seems a lot of that's gone by the wayside. And here's an example of of how that looks. On National Public Radio on September 4th, one of its woke quiz shows, I think it was, wait, wait, don't tell me, a youthful, supposedly educated celebrity contestant was asked to name the famous plantation where George Washington lived on the Potomac River. And most people would know that's Mount Vernon. But you could hear the contestant's consternation and perplexity. It was as if she somehow stepped into a black hole in a galaxy light years away. Obviously, her history courses, such as they were, didn't mention Mount Vernon. Answers to all the questions about trendy rock groups? Oh, yeah, she could answer them all. But a real knowledge of American history? Yet. And just as an aside, you see this playing out in uh, Richmond, Virginia, just in the last few days. There's a large, there was a large, six-story, multi-ton monument to uh, Robert E. Lee. That monument came down. And it's funny, I, I didn't intend to, you know, get people riled up on Twitter, but I made a comment that, hey, anyone who's actually read Lee's writings, his letters to his sons, or his correspondence with friends, or just his personal journals, you cannot read his words and not come away with the understanding that this, this was a great man. This was a man of, of great character. Notwithstanding that he lived in a time where his family owned slaves, notwithstanding that he resigned his commission to, uh, to stand with the Confederacy and to defend his home state of Georgia against the Northern War of Aggression. Sorry, this is going to rekindle a whole new battle. But my point was, most people haven't read that. So there are a lot of people just cheering, Yeah, tear down that, stare, that statue! Tear it down! Cut it into pieces! Get rid of it! Because they have no idea that that monument, which they think is just simply, well, you know, that was just put up to celebrate Jim Crow laws and to rub it in your face how racist everybody is. No, it wasn't. The monument was a celebration of the personal greatness of the man himself. It didn't bestow greatness on him. His greatness does not diminish just because somebody short-sighted tears down a monument. But again, you only know this if you actually go to the source and read his own words. I think this is true of most people. If you can read their writing, you can get a fair understanding of how they see the world and, you know, what their character is like. You know, assuming they're not writing fiction or something, but um, but even then, you know, you can tell by a person's worldview. But when when they speak with their own voice or their own words, that's worth a lot more than just a bunch of shouted bumper sticker slogans, or at least it should be. All right, back to Boyd Cathy's article. He says the accusation that somebody would even know that Mount Vernon was the name of George Washington's plantation on the Potomac River is a sure sign of racism. That is historic white supremacy whose hegemony marks and stains irremediably every aspect, every facet of our history, our culture, our language, our very existence. So to follow the template of a new breed of what are being called academic scholars and Abraham X 
Kendi, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones of the 1619 Project, Robin D'Angelo. Whiteness is akin to a terminal disease, an inherited fatal and eradicable malady that must be literally torn out of society, extinguished, or totally expelled. And far, far too many of our educators either believe such rubbish or they go along with it or simply refuse to oppose it for fear of being labeled racist or banned on Twitter or Facebook or maybe severely punished at work or canceled in the public square. I mean, the outrageous examples abound. Now, of course, there's been pushback, too. He says, in our present society, the major vehicles of communication and learning are possessed by those who wish our our extinction. And they employ those media with an unrelenting zeal, almost hysterical commitment, which borders on sheer madness or lunacy. It's like he wrote back in December of 2020, one of his columns about the modern equivalents of pod people. Human beings possessed demonically of an inextinguishable, all-encompassing ideology of fanaticism, which resembles a psychopathic illness. Now, Boyd Cathy says, over the years, I've noticed one of the most effective weapons in our small quiver is humor, especially the kind that's simple, at times ironic, and that literally slaps you in the face. It's one of the reasons why Tucker Carlson has been so successful. He's able to combine a withering critique of the latest politically correct abomination, oftentimes something very serious, with the ability to simplify and demonstrate the utter ridiculousness, the laughable, if they weren't so serious, inconsistencies of so much that passes for politics, education, and media in our benighted nation. You don't have to read a long and involved policy report, although perhaps after commentary by Carlson, finishing with an amusing zinger, you might be persuaded to. Knowledge and understanding are, in a real sense, intuited by the listener or viewer. The image projected, often sardonic or iconically or ironically sarcastic, rather, laced with ridicule, but all the same, hitting the mark. Now, recently, The Guardian, that major purveyor of leftist thought and information in Britain, complained, is right-wing comedy on the rise? And by the way, one of the right-wing comedians on the rise that The Guardian obliquely attacks is a Russian-born Brit by the name of Konstantin Konstantin uh, Kizin had not heard of this man before today, but after reading his column, which I'm going to share with you in a moment, I like his take. And the fact that he's under the skin of the uh, reporters or the, the editorial staff at The Guardian, well, that's probably a good thing. Boyd Cathy says, I had never heard of him till just the other day when I ran across his fascinating, searingly accurate portrait of the dominant media, both American and British, titled, Why Won't They Believe Us? It showed up in the tablet on August 10th of this year. And although its main goal is to explain with irony and thinly veiled humor why so many people are reluctant and hesitant to get vaccinated for COVID, indeed doubt about and mistrust the entire agenda that the government is now foisting off on its citizens, what Kassin writes has far greater application in Western society concerning the role of what Dr. Paul Craig Roberts calls the prostitutes, our servile media. Kassin's essay is like a rapier thrust into the puffed-up belly of our establishment media and government, slowly building and then twisting into its target, and at the same time causing us to reflect on the ideological insanity of our media and the deep state the media whores for. And in the present combat in which no prisoners can or should be taken, it may be more effective than the latest statistical study issued by the Heritage Foundation or some other pseudo-conservative outfit more concerned with appearances than real grungy combat like we have to engage in. And so he has a link to the essay, Why Don't They Believe Us? 
And this is really a great exercise. So bear with me. I'm going to share this with you again. This is from Constantine Kissin. He says, imagine you're a normal person. The year is 2016. Rightly or wrongly, you believe most of what you see in the media. You believe polls are broadly reflective of public opinion. You believe doctors and scientists are trustworthy and independent. You're a decent, reasonable person who follows the rules and trusts the authorities. Imagine your shock then when Brexit, which you were assured couldn't happen because it was a fringe movement led by racists for racists, happens. The polls which widely predicted it wouldn't happen were wrong. The experts and pundits who told you day after day that it wouldn't happen were also wrong. Oh well, you say, these things happen. Now imagine that soon after Brexit, Donald Trump is running for president. You are told by most by the most trustworthy media outlets he's going to lose. Some experts say his opponent has a 99% chance of winning. Imagine waking up in the morning after the election to discover that the pollsters, experts, and politicians you still trusted were wrong again. Now the racist monster who you were told would never get near the White House is the leader of the free world. How did this happen, you ask yourself? How could everyone I rely on for good information be so wrong? It was the Russians, they tell you. The Russians did Brexit, they got Trump elected too. Now imagine that for the next three years, day after day, the media and politicians you still trust to keep you up to date on this story of Trump's collusion with Russia. And they tell you the how, when, where, and why, the dossiers, the whistleblowers, the peeing prostitutes. Imagine your desperation for things to somehow make sense again. And here comes the Mueller report. Hard evidence of foreign meddling in Brexit and the 2016 U.S. election is coming to set the world right again. But then imagine your shock when you discover that Brexit had little to do with foreign meddling and Robert Mueller has very little to report about Trump and the Russians. The collusion story which dominated your news intake for the better part of three years slowly dies down. Then it's gone. No one talks about it anymore. Imagine that bit by bit, you're starting to feel that the events you were told would not and could not happen, not only happened, but happened without some sort of malign interference. Instead, millions of your fellow citizens simply voted for them. In the American case, it turns out many of your fellow citizens who simply voted for Trump, for Trump rather, come from states that have been devastated by an opioid epidemic enabled by a corrupt system of incentives involving the Food and Drug Administration, doctors, and Big Pharma. He says, now you may want to take note of this. It's going to come up again later. But again, you ask yourself, how could this happen? And again, the media outlets and political representatives you've always trusted have the answer. Racism. Your country is racist, they'll tell you. If you're white, this may seem strange to you. Other than a handful of idiots, you've never met a racist. Now, if you're an ethnic minority immigrant like uh, Constantine Kassin, he says this seems even stranger. Why would people in one of the most welcoming, tolerant countries in the world want to convince themselves their country is racist when it's so obviously not? But the evidence is right there on your TV screen. Imagine your horror as a famous and beloved gay African-American actor is assaulted by MAGA hat-wearing thugs who racially abuse him and put a noose around his neck. In a primetime interview, he cries while talking about it. And imagine your outrage as you see news reports of a bunch of MAGA hat-wearing kids from a religious school contemptuously confront a Native American elder. Professional adult commentators on TV tell you the kid has a punchable face. 
And while you abhor violence, it's hard to disagree. Imagine that for days you watch coverage of these events with expert after expert, pundit after pundit, sharing and fueling your outrage. Maybe your country really is racist. Maybe you're racist. Were you always just blind? Now imagine that soon after, however, the Jussie Smollett story turns out to be an attention-seeking hoax. He made it all up. Imagine you also quickly discover that the Native American elder was the one who confronted the kids, not the other way around. If this is such a racist country, you ask yourself, why would they need to make up stories of racism? As you ponder this, you remember that for years now you've been expected to go along with other, more elaborate, make-believe stories. You're expected to believe that gender is not as binary as school, your eyes, and your own experience have led you to believe. Whatever you learned about biology growing up is not only wrong, it's pathological and harmful, according to the American Psychological Association. You no longer know how many genders you're expected to be able to recognize. You do know that asking questions is dangerous. Imagine that you still want to believe the experts and commentators, but now that requires you to believe your country is racist, that men are bad, and that gender is a social construct which is an idea you really don't understand. It's at this point that a pandemic breaks out in China. Now, you're initially unconcerned, but as terrifying scenes increasingly emerge from Italy and other countries closer to home, it is clear that something big is happening. You watch nervously as politicians give press conference after press conference, flanked by experts to explain the situation. President Trump shuts down travel from the United States to China, or to the United States from China, rather. He's been widely condemned as a racist in the past, and the same explanation is given this time. It's not just Americans who will tell you Trump is racist for calling a virus that emerged in China a China virus. In response, the mayor of Florence advises Italian citizens to fight Trump's anti-Chinese bigotry by hugging a Chinese person. Shortly after, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, one of the most respected and powerful Democrats in the country, visits Chinatown in San Francisco to explain there's no reason tourists or locals should be staying away from the area because of coronavirus concerns. Thank God there are sensible, non-racist people who aren't overreacting, you say to yourself. Now imagine watching as Trump doubles down on his racism by claiming the virus may have come from a lab in Wuhan. Nonsense, you think? You're more concerned with how to best protect yourself and your family from this deadly disease than with its origins at this point anyway. You consider buying buying surgical masks or using homemade ones. You've seen visitors and tourists from Asian countries wear them, and they've been through things like this before, so maybe it's best to follow their lead. But your country's chief medical experts tell you not to wear masks and to focus on washing your hands instead. As lockdowns are introduced around the world, you diligently follow all the rules, you stay at home, you only go out once and live off savings or government grants, You do your best to keep your hands clean, to not touch other surfaces that other people touch. Some political representatives make the solemn decision to shut down beaches, parks, and playgrounds, encouraging everyone to stay indoors. You are proud to be doing your part. Thanks to you and millions of your fellow citizens, the first wave of pandemic overwhelms certain hotspots, but it does not devastate the healthcare system at a national level. And while thousands sadly die, you've helped to protect those around you. Now imagine your confusion, as the same people who spent three months telling you not only that masks don't work, but there are several reasons you shouldn't wear or purchase them, suddenly introduce mask mandates. We're following the science, they tell you, 
Now, this seems to make little sense, but a pandemic is no time for questions. And who knows? Maybe our understanding of the science evolved. As you cautiously go to the supermarket, you notice that masks have made people less likely to socially distance. You remember reading somewhere that bicycle helmets work similarly. They give the wearer more confidence, and the result is often more accidents and injuries, not fewer. Silly people, you say to yourself, if only they would turn on the experts. You turn on your TV and you learn that shoppers at your local supermarket aren't the only ones who've been ignoring the rules. Nancy Pelosi arranged for a salon, shut down by government decree, to open privately for her, and then publicly blamed the business owner for violating the lockdown. Governor, uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom is seen eating dinner at one of the most expensive restaurants in America, with a large group of unasked people indoors. In the UK, Neil Ferguson, the epidemiologist whose projections were used as the basis for lockdowns, appears to have broken his own rules to get some action with his married lover. Prime Minister Boris Johnson's chief advisor, Dominic Cummings, drove halfway across the country to ensure he had a better place to isolate. The journalists who berate him for this are later found to have attended an unmasked indoor birthday party in breach of the rules. The lockdowns continue. Then a man is killed in Minneapolis by a police officer while arresting him for a petty crime. The man is African-American. The officer is white. The arrest and murder are captured on video, which quickly goes viral around the world. Overnight, a huge campaign for racial justice springs up around the world. No one explains what racism had to do with the incident, but they don't need to. As you know by now, the West is racist. America is racist. Police are racist. Therefore, any time a crime has a white perpetrator and an African-American victim, there's only one possible motive. Now, the fact that an identical incident led to the death of a white man named Tony Timpa in Dallas in August 2016 is never mentioned for context. While the lockdowns remain in place, protests against injustice spill out into public places. Tens of thousands of people crowd into the streets of major cities. Few of them wear masks. Social distancing is non-existence. Clashes with the police ensue. And in the United States, protesters loot stores, destroy businesses, attack residents, and start fires. A retired African-American police officer from St. Louis named David Dorn is among dozens of people murdered in the chaos. Now, the media describes these events as mostly peaceful protests, as broadcast reporters stand in front of burning buildings. After months of harsh restrictions, the media and political class offer no criticism of protests that violate every element of lockdown policy. After months of telling you to stay home to avoid spreading COVID, doctors explain that rather than spreading than being a potential form of super spreading, protest is a profound public health intervention. And now big tech companies go into overdrive to stop the spread of what they call misinformation. Alternative points of view regarding the efficacy of masks and lockdowns, as well as the origins of the virus itself, are increasingly blocked, flagged, and censored. Attempts to discuss the negative impacts of lockdowns on the health and mental well-being of children, barred from going to school, those things are suppressed. On the eve of the election, a major news outlet releases a damaging report about Hunter Biden, son of vice presidential candidate Joe Biden. The story alleges corruption that may implicate his father, as well as for drug use, paying for prostitutes, and more. Twitter and other social media platforms immediately prevent the story from being shared. The media lines up commentators to claim the story was yet again misinformation. Once Hunter's father wins the election, it becomes clear several key elements of the story are likely accurate. And the laptop from which the information is recovered is, in fact, not a Russian decoy, but Hunter Biden's laptop. 
Now, there's more and more to this, but the bottom line is the same people who told you Brexit would never happen, that Trump would never win, and that when he did win, it was because of Russian collusion, but also because of racism, that you must follow lockdowns while they don't, that masks don't work, that masks do work, that social justice protests during the pandemic lockdowns are a form of health intervention, that ransacking African-American communities in the name of fighting racism is a mostly peaceful form of protest, that poor and underserved children locked out of shuttered schools are still learning, that Jussie Smollett was the victim of a hate crime, that men are toxic, that there's an infinite number of genders, and the list goes on and on. These are the same people now telling us that the vaccine is safe, that you must take it, and if you don't, you will be a second-class citizen. And they wonder why we don't believe them on vaccines. I'm Brian Hyde, filling in for Tim Alders. This is the Disciples of Liberty on the America Out Loud Network. You know, Healthy Cell is a terrific lineup of products. They have products that are pill-free, gel pack vitamins, uh, looking for better sleep, focus, and energy, check out Healthy Cell, the leading innovator in nutritional supplements for cell health. Are you tired of being tired? Healthy Cell has a product that helps REM sleep, helps you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM sleep supplement. The only sleep supplement that's designed to support all stages of sleep. And boy, is it needed now during all the stress of the COVID-19 pandemic. So go to HealthyCell.com and use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD, for a 20% off your first order of any product from HealthyCell. I use them every day. I believe in them. And you should too. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Today, America stands at the crossroads of history. Our actions will determine the fate of our nation. Well, that journey starts here and starts now. We invite you to join us in making the ultimate difference. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters. Turn notifications on and stay in the know. You'll find all that back at AmericaOutloud.com. Liberty and justice for all. Hey, welcome back to the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde sitting in for Tim Alders once again here on the America Out Loud Network. 
And I know I'm not the only person who has a lot of questions because there's so much information and data out there concerning COVID, concerning uh, Delta variant, concerning all the all the mitigation efforts. And so I'm very grateful to welcome uh, Dr. Andy Lazarus to the show. And Dr. Lazarus, uh, before we dive into the topic, I'm anxious to pick your brain, but tell us just a little bit about yourself and about your background. Sure. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm a uh, primary care physician. I mostly take care of older people. I've written a lot of books on uh, healthcare and specifically on COVID. Uh, Understanding uh, COVID-19 Risks is our newest book that's out, and it puts uh, COVID in a a very understandable format of theaters. I personally have taken care of hundreds of people with COVID. I've been in uh, long-term care. I see what works and what doesn't work, and I've gotten in trouble for for talking about it, um, which is a whole other layer of, of COVID, unfortunately. To me, but, that's um, actually a good sign. If you've gotten in trouble, yeah. then you've probably been, you, you, you have probably been doing some, some independent thinking. Yes, it's been called honesty, and honesty and dogma seem to clash these days, unfortunately. Um, I, I've never had a political agenda, but um, unfortunately, others do have, and, and COVID has taken on a life of its own, and it's gone well beyond science or humanity or uh, a goal of helping people. It is, it is um, that, and that's what I try to do. Um, myself and my co-author, Eric Rifkin, like I said, we've written two books on it. And um, I've written personally a fiction book about it um, with 10 songs. And, um, and that's been my own uh, reflection of what I've dealt with with COVID. Uh, and it, it's been harrowing in, on so many levels. But yes, the misinformation it has, is probably the worst part of this, and which is why Eric Rifkin and I wrote this book, um, we wanted, to, we wanted to show it's really not that hard to get it right. And it's the other thing we wanted to show is that you have to say what you don't know. People are making things up when they don't know things. And, and it's really important to acknowledge what we don't know so we can learn um, and do something else. And, and, that's, and yeah, that, that's been the problem with COVID. So before we dive into the misinformation, and I, and I really want to talk to you about that, I'd like to get your take on uh, as far as where we are today, it, what what is the latest, or would you say is the most uh, urgent information people ought to know or understand about uh, COVID nineteen or the Delta variant or or anything else, or the mu variant or the, the yes. Venus variant that's coming from outer space? We, we, um, but just, <laughs> a, a few a few things to know about COVID. Number one, there are, there are going to be variants for the rest of your life. So so do not get panicky. That's every virus that we've ever had in humanity. COVID is not something special. Number two, it seems that people um, uh, who are getting the Delta variant uh, are, are doing better than uh, people who had the original variant. I lived through that. That was uh, horrific, uh, especially people who are immunized. Um, even though they get sick, uh, they, they tend not to go to the ICU or die from it. Uh, the death rate, Eric uh, and I have calculated, is about one in 600,000. Now, where this differs and where people should be concerned or not concerned is based on demographics. I am personally seeing people who are living in long-term care who were immunized five months ago who no longer have immunity. And wow. that those people are getting sick again. We, we have one place where I work where just last week we had 25 new cases, uh, five deaths. And, and these are, these are people who are immune. Um, this is a place that has, you have to have a mask on from the minute you walk into the minute you leave. Uh, so this nonsense about masks, um, all you have to do is look at reality and you'll see what that, where that gets you. 
So, so if you're in that setting, um, and I've been pushing, you, you want to hear a funny story. Um, I, you know, I pushed the uh, health department to do antibody testing on these people because generally older uh, frail people do not hold on to immunity well. And the, uh, the health department that's making kids put on masks and get vaccinations told me that they did not want me to get in- antibody testing on older people because it would be opening a can of worms, they said. Opening a can of worms meaning that we'll find people who need another shot, um, which is not what they want to do. So the, the next caveat is, in terms of demographics, there have been 320 deaths in this country and people under the age of 20. Just so you know, that that's about your chance of dying of a lightning strike. So all this nonsense we are doing, putting our kids through such um, hell, um, giving them treatments that may well hurt them uh, for something that won't, uh, is something that really needs to be brought to the public eye because, because um, we should be focused on nursing homes and, and assisted livings. That's where the damage is being done. We should like leave kids alone. And, and that's what the wow. facts tell us. And, and we've talked about that in our book. Well, I'm, I'm so happy to hear you say these things. And, and I know there are, because I pay attention, my job is to go through, you know, as much information as possible daily and pass on what I can to our listeners to, to try to give them an accurate view. And I know there are other medical professionals out there speaking out like yourself. Now, Dr. Lazarus, this doesn't come without risk, though. To, there, I, I've never seen such uniformity before in my life. I don't work in the medical profession, but it, it's like there's a closing of ranks and it's very rare to find people who are willing to dissent. Um, and to be honest, as, as you're talking about, where where does this um, closing of the ranks come into play? Is, is that is that being um, coming down from above from the corporate structure or help me understand why so many people are going along with, you know, the official narrative? You know, I walked into a, an assisted living yesterday and the, and the woman in charge who I know, not, not in charge, the woman at the front desk who I know well, um, said, you know, this is just, they're trying to divide us into two different camps. That's what she said. A lot of people are making a lot of money if we just stay hating each other like we're doing. And, I, you know, people get it. What you're saying is resonating and is definitely true. There should not be two different camps because there's there are facts and not facts. I do think there's a huge political agenda um, that people have at stake. Um, as long as they can keep people masked, and in their homes and scared to death, it's going to help them. Uh, there's no question about that. But the dogma of this has taken a life of its own. I, I, interestingly, I, you know, I talked to someone about the masking issue because I personally wrote something about the fact that there have been about 200,000 deaths, and that's disputable, but at least 150,000 in long-term care uh, from COVID, forgetting the, I think, over a million deaths from locking these older people up. But just from COVID, there have been about 200,000 deaths in long-term care. And in long-term care, there's been a mask mandate since March of 2020. And I, in my own practice, I've taken care of hundreds of people with COVID, all of whom have been infected by someone wearing a mask. I wrote wow. that. Um, I wrote that just an observation, just a piece of reality on Twitter. Someone from Twitter sent that conversation to my board of medicine. And my license is now under review. I had to hire a lawyer um, just because I wrote a fact. And when I, and what someone told me, which I think is true, is that people have staked their reputations on insisting that masks work. And if, if we had to backtrack and say, look, look at the reality of long-term care. If anything proves 
that masks cannot possibly be the solution to this. It's long-term care. If they had to backtrack and say that, they're going to have to, they're going to lose a lot of their credibility because they were so adamant about it. Again, in our book, um, Understanding COVID-19 Risks, we have a theater about masks with a big question mark in it because that's all we know. And there have been, there was one um, randomized study on masks in the in Denmark, which showed they don't work in the community. There's a new one that's coming out in Bangladesh, which if you have time, I can talk about because it, it is Absolutely. so bogus. Absolutely. It is, it is frightening. It is frightening how bogus it is. But that showed that it might work. Um, but there's not been a single study in, in long-term care where most people are dying. And you just wonder, you know, why aren't we studying this? Why are we just doing this and allowing people to die? That the deaths I've had in my facilities just since um, the vaccination are because people, the health department says, just wear masks. Well, guess what? That's killing people because we're not willing to admit that this isn't working. Uh, we need something else. Sure, go ahead and wear the masks. Um, first, first, I also say, tell me if there's any downside to the mask. And no one's willing to admit there is. There was an article um, that we used in our book that it was beautifully written. It had it was written by a respiratory therapist in Israel, and it looked at all the studies that show potential harms of masking, which um, are especially true in kids um, and older people. Those are the people who are being asked to wear masks eight hours a day. Um, that article was redacted. Um, I got in touch with the author. I said, redacted because of content or censorship, and he wrote back censorship. Wow. Basically, my guess is his job was threatened unless he pulled this article back. So they don't, no one wants us to see the reality. Again, in terms of harms of masks in our book, we have a question mark. And when you see a question mark, you don't make that the policy of choice. And you want to do studies. And you also question whether it could be hurting people. I personally, from wearing a mask eight hours a day for the last year and a half, have asthma that I didn't have before um, and have frequent panic attacks. If I put it near my face, I get panic attacks. So I take it off when I can. It is not, and, and I talk to nurses and aides constantly who have the same story, but they'll tell you there's nothing wrong. And now we're, we're masking our kids for eight hours a day who are going to be scared to death. They're going to they're gonna have panic attacks the rest of their life. Who knows what else? We're forcing people. I, I'm a graduate student at University of Maryland. That, that institution is forcing all kids to have vaccinations for, again, a disease that doesn't kill people at this age. Um, and I, I personally know of two people, a college age, who developed pericarditis from vaccination. Wow. Now, now, and, and so, again, they are, they're harmed um, for something that's not going to help them. And no one has liability for this. There are laws passed that no one has liability. And, and their, their lives could be ruined because of this. Again, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but, that, but I'm called one because I question the use of vaccinations in kids. Um, when, when flu hit three years ago and killed 3,000 kids, um, 3,000 kids, you probably never heard of it because there was no political reason for you to. Uh, no one was shouting That's about giving point. all kids flu shots. Uh, no one was calling about closing down schools or putting on masks. No one was saying that. 3,000, that's 10 times the number uh, that COVID's killed. But, you know, again, it, it, it's lost all scientific basis. And just to question it, question masks um, makes me an anti-masker and gets me in trouble with my board and makes me hire a lawyer. Just to question the, the, the scientific and humanistic um, idea of giving vaccines to people who are not harmed by a disease makes me an anti-vaxxer. Whereas 100% or I would say 99% of my patients 
are vaccinated. They're old. They need it. They benefit from it. But again, it's their choice. I, I, I believe everything should be a choice. And my patients have chosen to, to do that. Um, I'm vaccinated because I work in the healthcare field. So again, we, we, we are not being allowed to make our choice and we're being forced to do things that could be, be potentially harmful. But what makes it worse, I think, is it prevents us from doing what might help. And, and we certainly could open up society. There, there's a group of people, there's something called the Great Barrington Declaration. I'm familiar with it. Yeah. The, um, the uh, head author of that, and, and it's been signed by about 900,000 very prominent doctors. The basic premise is this all-out quarantine is going to kill more people than it's going to help. We need to do selective quarantines. The, the guy in charge of it, and I can't pronounce his name, so I'm not going to try, um, is from Stanford. And he, he's been viciously attacked. The people who were opposed to him hired um, an ad agency to try to smudge him. And he's just, he says, I expected in this country to have civil discourse among scientists, and that's just not what's going on. Well, it's either you believe in, in the, what I call the fascist dogma, um, <laughs> or, or you are anti-science, even though your goal is to be humanistic and scientific. Uh, it was Albert Einstein who says the enemy of science is dogma. And, and um, that chased him away from Germany so he could do the relativity theory because no one would let him do it in Germany because it, it went against the prevailing view. So, again, we're, we're in a tough time if, we, if, we're, in, if we're scientists. And, and my license could well be stripped from me just for opening my mouth. Um, and, and that's frightening. You know, you nailed it, though. You, you called it early on when you said it, it happened when this became politicized. And, and I don't know if this is a scientific principle, but it would make sense to me. Anytime you mix politics with anything, you get politics. So you mix it with science, you're going to get not just politicized uh, science, you're going to get politics. And science will become more focused on that. The thing that really concerns me, doctor, is I am seeing medicine become politicized to a degree that I never would have thought possible. To the point where I'm afraid to go, if I actually have some legitimate issue, let's say I have chest pains. I would be thinking twice about, okay, how bad is this before I would go to the ER simply because I know there are some really hardcore protocols that are going to kick in the moment I set foot inside a medical facility. Well, you, you, you can read my books from, from uh, 10 years ago. I mean, that, this is not new. The, uh, the, the, I, I don't know if you want to call it politicizing a medicine, but, but certainly the, the idea that medicines become dogma. You know, you know, look, there are a lot of people profiting from you, you being afraid that the first word in my fiction book is fear, um, because fear is what drives the whole healthcare system. In the last 20 years, the healthcare uh, budget has gone from five, $500 billion, which sounds like a lot, to $4 trillion, with a reduction in lifespan during that time. That's because we are feeding people fear, and with the fear, we're feeding them drugs, procedures, tests, uh, specialist visits. Um, and, and I fight, this is what I fight for every day of my life as a doctor is sense in medicine. Eric Rifkin and I um, wrote an earlier book called Interpreting Health Benefits and Risks, where we take about 20, we, I think it's 25 common medical, either procedures or medicines and put them in the theater. So as an example, um, if you're gonna take a blood thinner, which is advertised all the time for atrial fibrillation, which is a heart rhythm, uh, what is the benefit and what is the risk? The, uh, they'll tell you you're going to, I have cardiologists in my town to say, if you don't take this, you're going to get a stroke before you get home. Well, it turns out six out of a thousand people avoid a stroke. 
Um, and six out of a thousand people bleed to death from this drug, um, which, which means that 99 out of 100 people don't either bleed or get a stroke. It doesn't matter what they do. But again, the, the dogma and the fear prevent patients from getting access to their own risks and benefits. And that is truly the problem with our healthcare system and with COVID communication is that we're not letting people make their own choices because we're not giving them accurate information. I think if people made their own choices, we would have consensus in this country about what to do. Nobody yep. wants that because again, CNN loves, MSNBC loves, you know, what's going on. It, it creates an audience and uh, you know, a lot of politicians are, are doing great with this. So it's, it is unfortunately a, a totally politicized moment that has destroyed science more than I could ever imagine it would happen in this country. Let's talk for a moment about how patients can be more proactive when it comes to getting information or recommendations on their healthcare decisions. Um, I think a lot of people are comfortable with outsourcing it. No, no, doc, you take responsibility. You make me get better. But if you really want to be a good patient, how can you do that? Well, I know everyone likes their doctor, you know, thank you. <laughs> we appreciate that. But um, studies have shown that um, uh, 10% of what doctors do, the doctors actually understand the risks and benefits of what they're doing. And a lot of, a lot of the reason for that is doctors follow protocols and the protocols are created by groups that benefit um, from you doing more. So, so I'll give you examples. Uh, the, the Alzheimer's Association and the American Diabetes Association are entirely financed by drug companies. The CDC, who we're relying on now, is financed by the CDC Foundation, which is financed by drug companies. The number one financer of that is Pfizer. Pfizer has more people on the CDC board than any other group. American College of Cardiology um, wants you to get catheterizations, wants you to get stress tests, wants you to go to the hospital. So these organizations create protocols. Doctors rely on them. You need to say to your doctor, Doctor, I need to know my risk and benefit of what you're telling me to do. If you're telling me to go on this cholesterol medicine, how many, and and you have to, and they'll say, well, it lowers cholesterol. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I get it. It lowers cholesterol. Um, We don't care. A lot of things lower cholesterol. Uh, Tell me how many people out of a thousand, and that's, again, we we love this out of a thousand thing because it's a number that really works in healthcare. How many people out of a thousand avoid dying if they take this medicine? How many people out of a thousand get side effects from this medicine? If your doctor can't answer that, don't go on the drug. I mean, I, to me, it's that simple. If your doctor wants to do a stress test on you, you, you need to ask the same question. How many people out of a thousand um, who get the stress test are going to find heart disease that would have killed them? And, and if they can't, well, I don't know, you know, it's just get the test. You know, th- that's what you might hear. You, you as a, a patient need that kind of information Eric Rifkin and I are pushing for that to be standardized to the point that every drug that comes out needs to use that language. Um, by the way, the FDA, which is also um, financed by the drug companies, 90% of its budget is from the pharmaceutical companies, has passed a law from the drug companies that it could pass a dr- path, it could um, approve a drug based on a surrogate marker. What's a surrogate marker? It means that it could pass a, a diabetes drug just because it lowers sugar, even if that drug might kill you. Mm. So, so it's, it's in the old days, they have, you used to have to do the, the studies long enough to see if people's lives were saved. Now they no longer have to do that. They just have to show it lowers sugar and then the drugs out. As you know, five years later, a lot of these drugs, oh, well, we're killing everybody and they get pulled. So that, that's the you know, environment we're in. Be, be suspicious of anything new is my other 
caveat. Um, you, unless you're on the, unless you're on the brink of death and you have cancer and you want to try something out, um, obviously that's a different situation. But um, even Biden's uh, moonshot to cancer um, initiative is basically a freebie to the drug companies to be able to release drugs that do not have to pass muster to show they save lives. And, and that's, that's where we're going now. So, we, yeah, we have to be careful as patients to, ask the, to, to demand of our doctors not to just be nice guys in white coats, but to give us detailed information. Again, I think it's better to ask out of a thousand. You're going to get a, a face drop and, and uh, a glazed look if you do that, because most doctors do not know that information. Let's let's talk about vaccines for just a moment because I know this is this is a pretty hot topic. But um, when it when it comes to uh, vaccine mandates, I'd like to get your take. I'd like to get your feel too. For um, as I look around, I see a lot of cases of people who are fully vaccinated still getting sick or still passing on um, COVID, and and I'm just I'm wondering. You know, this, does that make me an anti-vaxxer for noticing this kind of thing? I my main thing is I just don't want to be forced, but uh, but I see some inconsistencies in in the efficacy of the vaccine as well as you know of what it, what it's been sold as being able to do. Where do you come down on this issue, or what what do you understand about it? I I you know when again when we look at in our book um, understanding COVID nineteen risks when we look at the demographics. If you look at a thousand people in uh, assisted living or nursing home uh, who get COVID, 85 are going to die. Of people outside of that environment, including older people, one in 2,000 die, which is less than flu. Um, So when I look at that environment, when I look at the long-term care environment, when we initiated vaccines, we, we saw a dramatic drop in deaths. We still saw cases. And like I told you, people are still dying because the vaccine wears off in that group. Um, there is a lot of concern that people who are vaccinated can still spread it. But this is my take. If you want to get vaccinated, you'll probably be protected. Um, it is probably going to help you. If you are in a low-risk group, if you're younger, uh, if you're in good health, the risk of dying of COVID is probably less than a risk of dying to, in, in driving over to get the vaccine. It's really not a risky virus in younger, healthier people, younger being under 50, um, people in good health. Uh, if you have diabetes out of control, that's different. But younger, healthy people, you want to get the vaccine, it probably won't make a dent in, in how you're going to do in terms of uh, COVID. If you're older, I think it makes a big difference, but we have to give it very frequently because immunization wears off. If you get the vaccine, you shouldn't be screaming at other people to get it. You've done it. Leave everyone else alone. I mean, they, they could do what they want. It's free choice. Yeah. It, people say, well, but it's a it's a infectious disease. Yeah, but you just protected yourself or so be it, you know, as much as you can. So why are you worried about everyone else? That's like saying I'm an anti-smoker, so I want everyone else to quit. Right. You know, every, everyone's allowed <laughs> to make their, their choice. And by the way, with all these overwhelmed hospitals, um, hospitals work at 95% capacity on a good day. Uh, and guess what that 95% is? They're people who make bad health choices. People who are obese, who smoke, who, um, you know, who do all sorts of things they probably shouldn't do. We let them do it. Uh, they're the ones filling up the hospital. These COVID people who everyone's screaming about are, are just the icing on the cake. But again, if people want to not get vaccinated, that, that's, we have a free choice healthcare system. If we, if we don't want to have one, then we will say, if you're over a certain weight, we're going to put a monitor in you and monitor what you eat, make sure you exercise. 
We're not going to let you smoke. We're going to monitor that too. Monitor seatbelt use. We're going to monitor how fast you drive. And, you know, we want, do we want to go down that route? Because to me, that's what mandated vaccinations are. Again, I think there's a group of people who truly benefit from vaccines um, and a group of people who really are, I think, at risk from vaccines, mostly the under 20 crowd. Uh, Between that, up to you. Of course, all these young guys are people are getting vaccinated and it scares me to death. It's really, really horrendous that I consider it abuse uh, and against the Hippocratic Oath to give young people vaccines when we don't know what the long term consequences are and when the risk of the disease itself is just so small. Um, So, yeah, that makes me an anti-vaxxer, even though I vaccinated (laughs) all my patients. So go go figure. <laughs> We've got about five minutes here. I wanted to get your take on some of the uh, the alternatives or prophylactic treatments like ivermectin or um, uh, hydroxychloroquine. Um, I, I know that this these were really hot topics. People were getting booted from you know social media platforms right and left for suggesting, hey, this might be the way to go. What's your take on uh, where these medications have use? The, the uh, first of all, the best treatment for the best way to prevent COVID nineteen is to be healthy. That you know, take care of yourself. Doctor Fauci never says that, but that that is number one. Um, eat well and exercise. These treatments, when they were first used, um, really were for, were used by doctors who really wanted to help their patients. We we were getting no guidance from the CDC or any other group. Fauci was just saying, lock your doors, put on a mask, and don't talk to anyone. And when we were struck with people who had COVID, we were trying whatever we can. And the fact that these people lost their license for trying to help people is incredible to me. These, these drugs have not been well studied. I get it. But as I told you, no one has studied masks either. And that that's mandated. Um, I, on my own patients early on, a bunch of us got together who work in long-term care and we came up with a wonderful little cocktail of medicines. 70% of people with COVID get blood clots. And a lot of those people die of blood clots. The, the other big effect of COVID is inflammation. It just triggers a massive inflammatory response. So we put all our patients on blood thinners and prednisone the minute they got COVID. And when I say all our patients, I mean these frail older people who, who have that 85 out of 1,000 risk of dying. Right. And they did great. They did great with that. But God knows I was waiting for a call <laughs> because even though those are basic cheap treatments that we use every day, um, you know, good old Fauci didn't say they were okay. And now, interestingly, a year and a half later, people are saying that they work. Um, but imagine how many lives we could have saved if we had, if the CDC, instead of telling everyone to lock up, had recommended, you know, basic common sense treatments. I appreciate your take on this. Let's talk about your book here in the closing minutes. Uh, the book is called Understanding COVID-19 Risks, an image is worth more than a thousand words. Again, we're talking with Dr. Andy Lazarus. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Eric Rifkin, who is your co-author on this book. Eric Rifkin is an environmental scientist who, who greeted me uh, many years ago with a book he had written that used this theater concept um, to look at environmental risks. And we decided to put that to use for medical risk. So when COVID started hitting and we just saw this massive misinformation coming out and people just claiming things that they had no right to be claiming, you know, six feet separation, you know, wash your hands for a virus that doesn't even live on services, all this nonsense. Um, we decided to write this book to put every bit of information we know in a theater and every bit of information that's out there that we don't know in a theater and, and in a hundred pages show people through pictures, you know, the, the reality of this. And, and it's so easy. <laughs> and, and really that should drive policy is, is to do what we know and not know. And, 
you know, the basic, the basic premise is there are some groups that should be more worried than others. And there are some treatments that are, uh, we know work and others that we don't. And some that we don't know if they harm you that are being pushed as necessary. So that's the premise of the book. And we look at not, we look at other infections like influenza. We look at other countries, how they've done. Um, and so we, we kind of look at it more broadly. But again, it's almost all pictures. So it's something that, that people could truly understand. Okay. Where can people access this? Where can they buy it? It's on Amazon. Um, that's probably the easiest place to get it. It hasn't been pulled down yet um, it, for its honesty. Um, and there's a, there's a website, um, straight, www.straighthealthtalk. Um, that's, our, that's our website. And it could, you could find it there also with, um, with our other books too. Okay, I will include a link in the show notes. Uh, Dr. Andy Lazarus, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us. I really, I appreciate how reasonable your tone is on this. I wish, I wish more people would take heart from what you're saying and doing. Well, I really appreciate you, uh, you talking to me and really digging for the truth. It's really important. Okay, that's, yeah, that is the challenge of our time. We are up against the clock here. We will take a very quick, tr- quick break. You are listening to the Disciples of Liberty here on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Brian Hyde, filling in for Tim Alders. And I would encourage you, pay close attention to the sponsors on this network because they're doing their part to make sure that truth makes its way to your ears. 